Alex Madeira's won last night. They did. They uh, they achieved. They managed to snatch victory from the jaws of defeat. <laughs> can't tell uh, the living embodiment. Be proud. They stole. Just... They stole victory from the living embodiment of defeat right now, which is the lowly, lowly New York Giants. Oh, it's, who do you cheer for? I guess I don't even know. What, do you have a team? I've been or a Pats fan for years. Oh, okay. Yeah. Weird. I don't know. I don't know what to make of them this year. I can't tell if they're they're kind of broken, good, or if they've just been playing pretty crappy teams. Like the Bengals are pretty hit or miss, and the Bengals kind of crushed the Pats. Yeah. It. How do I say say this? Tom Brady has no one to throw to. Doesn't really have anyone really running behind him. And their defense has never been the strongest part of that team. So people are actually... You you gave away all your weapons. Yeah. Yeah. Watching Wes Welker catch a historic season uh, with with the Broncos has got to be not great. Yeah, no, it's... You know, because the Broncos have been on TV every goddamn week. So that's been fun to watch over and over again. I will graduate from the football talk in a second. But it has got to be... What is the Manning household like? Like, do you... Like, your brother, Peyton Manning, is having a season that is putting him in to conversations about all-time best quarterbacks. Yeah. Eli is raising questions about whether him and Tom Coughlin are going to get the boot. Neither of them will because they will have to have a really, really bad season. Who's – was it Clowney is some of the guy that everyone's talking about for next uh, year, yeah, right? Uh, Jadavion Clowney. Okay, I thought everyone was just fucking with me when they said that. No, that's I, I don't keep I don't I don't keep tabs on the the draft this early, but then again, my team still has a chance. So yeah. Oh yeah, no, your team your team has a has a strong chance to go relatively deep. I, I'd say the Pats at some point here are probably just going to kind of go off a cliff because watching them play, even when they're good, they're not that good. It's not going to be a good year. Yeah, the Bears are a they're probably a low end top ten team uh i don't have ambitions of super bowl but uh playoffs I, I think we will make it one or two games into the playoffs and and that would make me pretty happy i just want to see the the good jay cutler came out last night the good jay doesn't happen yes. very often um speaking of good and bad sides of mm-hmm. things you can finally talk about beyond two souls which you reviewed this week on the site god i can can't i yeah i've been uh <laughs> no you can't leave it behind just yet no Alex i suppose i can't yeah no that's that was that was a weird one to try and write i spent pretty much all of monday uh trying to write that review and i ended up restarting it several times and just trying to find a way to actually express what the hell i felt about that game uh it wasn't even until t- like i had to sleep on it and then come back to it tuesday morning and i was like frantically trying to get it done before the embargo then i remembered oh wait no one's actually awake to edit this before the embargo goes up so i i doesn't really matter but um that game is something else that is i mean i don't know ask me questions about that game because i kind of don't even know where to start with it honestly well let's let's look at you can read plenty of reviews that yeah. explain and including yours that explain what doesn't work about it. It yeah. seems like a lot of what doesn't work about it are it's just it's the same things that haven't worked in David Cage's previous work just sort of amplified as the production values have gone up. But what sure. what do you like about it? Cuz that seemed to be like the thing that you struggled with when we were talking about your review before it published was you did like the game. You just wanted you had all these caveats you wanted people to go in if they were going to spend 60 bucks you know go in with the right mindset and know what they're getting so like what what about it made you 
Like, what did you like about it? There's a few things. Uh, for one thing, as much as, you know, we, we give David, sh- David Cage shit for his whole mentality of more technology equals more emotion or whatever, uh, this technologically, this is probably the most impressive game those guys have ever made. Uh, the facial capture stuff, the motion capture stuff, the performances uh, by, like, Ellen Page, Willem Dafoe, Kadeem Hardison, and really most of the cast uh, are really, really strong. The, you know, the the story gets just absurdly silly in several different places. Um, but in the parts where it's less silly, when it's a little bit more grounded in the characters and their interactions and, you know, kind of just kind of... When, it, when the game spends more time trying to build up Jody's sort of, you know, characters and motivations versus just having her, you know gallivant off to navajo country to go on a spirit quest or something uh it's you can see what what he was going for you can see what he was trying to build toward you can see what that game you know could have been in the hands of frankly a better writer um david cage is not the worst writer i've ever encountered but he is definitely one of the most prone to going off on these just nonsensical insane tangents in place of like actual conclusions Seems like he doesn't have an editor. No, if I had to from from the outside looking in. I it does feel like, you know, you do want you know people to be able to. It's cool that Sony is kind of letting them be unchained and do what Quantum Dream wants to do. But it does feel like he could benefit from a co-writer or a co-editor. But that would also betray everything that he kind of talks about, which is sort of you know the auteur theory and looking at himself as having a sort of a singular vision that drives you know all parts of the game. Yeah, and I don't think that vision is... If Indigo Prophecy has any indication of, like, David Cage's process, his process is, I have this really interesting idea for a game, and I don't know how to end it, so I'm just going to throw a bunch of batshit nonsense into the mix and see what happens. Um, You know, Heavy Rain was maybe a little bit less uh, overtly absurd than some of that stuff, but it still got pretty silly. Um... This has moments of that same silliness, you know? It just seems like there are moments where he can't quite figure out how he wants to kind of navigate this story to a meaningful end. So he'll just kind of throw these, these like, references and scenarios and things out there that don't seem like they actually fit with the grander scheme of the story. Hey, you're just up-outing on me, but that's fine. Um, I had that light out of my face. <laughs> um, so it, you get these scenarios where, like, there are these whole scenes dedicated to, like, Jody going to, like, not actually China, fake China to stop, you know, a rogue government from creating a terror in the whole, a hole in the universe and all this other kind of shit that just feels like, why is this here? Like, with all the other stuff you're building toward with, like, her kind of discovering herself and, you know, kind of, like, what her life is and what her connection to this entity is and all this stuff, why are we getting into all this silly, like, militaristic fucking crazy shit? Like, why is any of this other stuff happening? And it just... It, it doesn't ruin it, but it definitely, like, makes me shake my head and just kind of go, man, man, I don't know. I don't know what, what you're trying to go for here. So, you know, I it, and the mechanics of those games are never what really bother me. Like, I'm fine with the idea of something that's a little bit more like an interactive movie than, say, uh, you know, than, than perhaps something that is just, like, purely, strictly third-person type gameplay. But... I don't, you know, it's just like sometimes that stuff feels really rote and uninteresting. Uh, sometimes it feels like it's kind of cool. Some of the stuff with Aiden in that game is really neat. Uh, I mentioned that that sequence in in the review where you're at the 
the the teenager's birthday party and you're kind of wrecking shop on all those kids and that is really satisfying like that is like the really cool moment and a really cool idea and then the game never really finds a way to make that sort of stuff that interesting again you know Hmm. it's like there there are these bits and pieces that are awesome and totally like you know sublime experiences exactly what you kind of you know think that game should or would be and then there are other moments where it's like no not so much so yeah i don't know. I think it's i think it's interesting uh you know, i don't want to talk too much about like all a lot of the scenes in the game because that's you know a lot of the reason you're playing the game but there there were definitely references to uh, in, in a number of reviews a scene where people are getting or where, where ellen page's character is getting ready for uh, a date and this is a scene that has you know very little to do with you know ghosts or the supernatural like or the more extraordinary elements present in the narrative and you're just trying to put things away and get ready for the date and then the the story how the date kind of plays out reflects a little bit of like you know what you chose to put away and how prepared you were um i am surprised that as much as david cage talks about you know trying to impart empathy and tell interesting stories that he seems to rely on the fantastic as a crutch. Yeah. Um, in a way that, you know, the best scenes I think in all of his games are the ones that don't have those things. Like the idea of running around, throwing away DVDs, preparing for a date, like is novel in, in a video game, you know, gone home is, you know, a game that, that specifically played upon the idea of teasing the fantastic without actually executing on it because our expectations in games have been so warped that we expect every game to have something of that nature. And and I, I think it would be nice if, you know, it, it seems like David Cage's best stuff is when he doesn't immediately go to, well, now there's ghosts. You know, may, maybe if it was just a little more grounded and just about people, you know, you're also going to leverage the technology in a better way because it also seems like what I was reading about the game, and I'm going to play it, you know, uh, eventually soon too, is that, when the actors were just sort of like talking about everyday sort of stuff that also got sort of the best moments out of of the acting as well, which doesn't surprise me. Yeah. I mean, it's not, that's not just a David Cage problem. That is really kind of a game industry wide problem. Um, And something that I think, you know, is is hitting Hollywood a lot recently too, is that like, if, if you're going to spend a whole lot of money on a game, there has to be this sort of like world ending level of consequence to it. There has to be this, these big, like you said, you know, the sort of like absurd, ridiculous kind of, uh, fantastic moments. Uh, you know, the story has to be all about, you know, you save it. It can't just be about you discovering yourself or, you know, kind of figuring out a, 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 a simple mystery or whatever. It has to be about you saving the goddamn world. Uh, XCOM, that that most recent XCOM game that came out, the Bureau, was a perfect example of that. That was a game that totally should have been the X-Files in the 60s. Instead, it was all, like, the whole game is about you trying to circumvent this endless apocalypse that you feel in no way equipped or capable of actually taking down. So the game has to go to these insane lengths to try and make it seem like you reasonably could be, you know, stopping this entire alien race from destroying the planet. Um, and, 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 I, and I wonder... You know, it's so hard to know without getting more insight into, like, the actual writing process. And, you know, you have to also, you know, I've heard plenty of stories of how publishers become involved in that, where, like, you know, they, you want to raise the stakes, you want the player to have motivations. Um, 
I'm sure there must be a fear that goes along with when you're making a game for several years is like, well, if it's if the stakes are kind of this low, like, is this interesting enough to get someone to play for eight to ten hours? Like, I don't blame someone for, you know, then raising the stakes in a way that makes it maybe feel like as a writer that you've made it more grandiose, but in, in a way you've lost, you know, a lot of the humanity or any sort of way of empathizing with the situation. Yeah, and, you know, it, I think if you have a good enough writer and you have good enough director and you have good enough people on it, uh, you can make a small story really interesting. You know, it doesn't have to be about these world-ending consequences. It doesn't have to be, uh, you know, about kind of you know, the, the, the world constantly ending around you and you having to, to save everybody. And Heavy Rain did that. Yeah, and Heavy, Heavy Rain, Rain wasn't was... that. I know. I know Heavy Rain was not as. I mean, Heavy Rain was ridiculous for its own reasons, but it, it had it. It was a human story. Like it wasn't about the apocalypse or crazy shit happening like that. It was just about these characters and the series. And I thought I thought that that part worked right. Like yeah. it, even though it went to some really absurd places at the end of the day, like you know, everyone makes fun of you know you know press X to Jason, but the idea of like losing your kid in a crowded area and trying to find some sort of touchstone for them so that you can relocate them. Like that's, that's an empathetic situation that I bet any parent, you know, could understand being paralyzed in. And those situations are, I think where the kinds of games he's trying to make, they make more sense also from a gameplay perspective, because the moment he starts getting into the more fantastic or, or combat and, and things like that, we have games where we have experienced combat to such a high <clears throat> fidelity and a high expertise that we naturally look at those situations with kind of a crooked eye because we're used to engaging with them in a much more profound way. But when he puts us in situations that we're not used to, you know, taking care of your son, um, you know, getting ready for a date, I don't need, to, I don't know how to interact with those situations because games don't do that. And so his sort of unique approach to interacting with the environment suddenly makes a ton more sense. Yeah. And, you know, I, Heavy Rain had its own set of problems. I appreciated that it did try to be something a little bit more, you know, grounded in, in identifiable reality, and it was about the about a different type of, you know, a, a storytelling. I just don't think David Cage is necessarily a good enough writer to pull off that kind of stuff and mass. It's like you said, he tends to lean on the fantastic as a crutch because that seems to be, you know, the easiest way for him to kind of tie that sort of stuff up. I mean, Heavy Rain totally lost me like halfway through. Um, mm. It just, I just didn't like, I, I appreciated what it was trying to do. I just didn't like, I mean, the acting was terrible. Um, just the, the writing in a lot of that game is not very good. It, it just, it just did not grab me in any meaningful way. So, I don't know, man. It's like, you know, Beyond is a really interesting idea. I like the premise of it. I like the performances an awful lot. I think the technology, it's one of the best-looking PS3 games out there. Um, It's just, you know, you kind of have to get over that hump of what a David Cage game is. And, you know, that's sort of where I had a hard time recommending it, was that I know a lot of people just don't subscribe to his theories of game design and and narrative and all of that, and I can kind of understand why. Um, you know, I enjoyed a lot of it. I think that there are some parts in that game that are genuinely terrible, and there are some parts of that game that are genuinely pretty awesome. So, you know, and and as much as I hate to to split the difference this way, it's one of those games where it's like, hey, did you like other David Cage games? You will probably like Beyond a lot. Did you not like other David Cage games? You will not like Beyond one bit. So, Hmm. yeah. 
That was a, that was a troubling thing to try and express because I really hate doing that kind of like, well, if you're a fan of this, then you'll like this, but if you're not, you won't kind of, you know, reviews. But that was really I think this is kind of the perfect example of exactly that kind of game that that totally deserves that exact review. Well, and I, and I think it also reflects a split that critics have and the you experience, which is you you know, we often kind of get on our soapbox and like really want to see something different and then something different does come along and when it doesn't work it's really frustrating. Yeah. Because you you look at it and you're like, ah, this this goes, you know, this is what I wanted, but not this. Right. And and that can be really frustrating. And um, I think that's where part of that split comes from is like, if you do want to try something that's trying to go after something genuinely different, here it is. But it also doesn't totally work. And know that when you when you go into it. Um, I'll be curious to see. We you know we chat about this on AIM. What does he continue down this exact path? Like, is it is it exactly this going forward? You know, I don't know how much he takes into account in terms of feedback. Um, I don't think Beyond Two Souls is going to be nearly the success sales-wise that, that Heavy Rain was. I think there was a novelty to Heavy Rain at the time that it came out that there just isn't right now, especially given that software sales are already slumping um, as, as interest has died and Next Generation gets closer. So, yeah. you know, we'll see. I mean, obviously, you know, Sony's already just straight up funding his next thing. And at the end of the day, it is probably worth it for Sony to fund whatever he does next because he gets people talking. He may be a polarizing figure, but people pay attention to him and his products. And he had a pretty cool demo at the press conference. So... And he does uh, something that's different, you know, even if it doesn't always work, it is something that is a little bit different, a little bit outside, just kind of the mainstream thinking of games, and, you know, there's there's something to be said for that. I just, man, can someone please get him an editor? That's all I ask. Just to hire him an editor and, and make him listen to them. That's all I ask. What if, what if they got Nicolas Cage in the new David Cage game? Could you handle that? You fucking with me? What are you doing here? Fucking I want to start this rumor. I want to start this rumor. That's how that's how rumors come true. If we start uh, a rumor or an online petition, Nicolas Cage needs to be in the new David Cage. I honestly want that less. Cage and Cage. Cage on Cage. I want that less than I want a Nolan North-style Nicolas Cage voice option in the next Saints Row. <laughs> Wait, you want, you want Nolan North doing Nicolas no, Cage? No, I want the, the way they did the Nolan North voice in Saints Row, but with Nicolas Cage. How did I didn't do the Nolan North voice? What so is the it? Nolan oh, North that? voice is just Nolan North doing the whole thing, but every once in a while he just refers to himself as Nolan, and <laughs> and just like kind of occasionally breaks the fourth wall for like absolutely no reason. So basically, just like trap Nicolas Cage in a room and just record him, and then just put his genuine confusion into the game. Yes. I can get behind that. Yeah, totally. That is exactly what I'm looking for. I can get behind that. Have you? You should. You should play this Stanley Parable. I uh, so you and I saw that demo at uh, right. At we did. PAX. I dra- uh, I dragged you over to that because I, I I think it is something. I know it would. Re- I I already knew I could drag Brad into it because I know that's exactly the type of thing that he would be into, and I, I think you would be into it as well. And yeah. there's a, a a free demo, as most demos are out now uh, on Steam that is not a demo in the strictest sense. Uh, if you are interested, I just highly recommend you check it out. But basically, it's a it's a deconstruction. And of what it is to create a demo that represents a full game and also in some ways appears to represent an existential crisis on the designer's part when you have to try and come up with, you know, a slice of your game that represents everything about it at the same time not revealing too much. Like all, all the things you have to juggle 
in order to create what people call a quote-unquote effective demo. Right. Uh, essentially, this demo walks you through that, which is funny given that the original Stanley Parable, which was a, a mod for Half-Life, was sort of a deconstruction of narrative uh, in, in, in games uh, in, in a similar way. Uh, it's Mostly, it sounds... It's, it kind of feels like an interactive essay, I guess, if I if I had to try and refine what it is about it. Is the the dialogue from the narrator is kind of sounds like the designer who is Davy Rendon uh, going through his thought process of what makes a game and why they work and why they don't work, and the player kind of comes along for the ride sure. and. The demo does a phenomenal job, a really funny job of breaking down what it's like to create uh, a demo for a game, and it doesn't have any content from the full full game that comes out next week, but it gives you a sense of the humor and the sense of playfulness uh, that, that is happening here, and I think anyone that plays it would be hard-pressed to not, not be interested in, in checking out more. Now, I never played the original Stanley Parable, so I don't know a whole lot about what the actual game is. I've only seen that demo, which I think is the demo that is out right now. Uh, it's a little bit different. That demo is exclusive to PAX. Okay. But uh, it is uh, the, the one that you will download is has similar material that we saw at PAX, but is a little bit different. But, you know, at this point, you know, you also might, you know, you could just wait until next week when it, sure. when it comes out. Um. Yeah, it's a it's a fascinating little thing, and uh, so I checked out that this week. Kicked through more Rayman Legends. Mm-hmm. Uh, almost done with that, um, and then this damn this trailer for Soma came out. I doubt you yeah. had time to watch no, it I this did. morning. I did. Did that you? Was, that was literally the first thing I did when I sat down after cleaning up all that cat puke. I was like, "Ooh, this is here. I want to watch this." Yeah, man. Uh, Frictional Games, their new their new joint sci-fi horror. Holy shit, man! That game looks rough. Yeah. So you uh, you had a chance to, to sit down and talk with the, the, the dude behind that game, didn't you? Yeah, Thomas Grip. He is uh, the co-founder of Frictional, who have worked on the Penumbra games, of which there were three. Uh, but they sort of really came on the map in a, in a wider sense with Amnesia the Dark Descent. And, you know, when I started planning out material for, for October, I, you know, it made sense. I want to talk to this guy. Let's talk about Amnesia. You know, I finally played it last year. Um, had a lot that I wanted to to see what he had to say about that game's development. And the morning that we're supposed to chat, the first teaser for Soma comes out. And so I, I sent him a message on Skype. I was like, hey, like, can we, are you able to talk about this? Like, you know, you're just putting out a very vague teaser. And he said, well, hey, how about you don't publish this until the 11th, and then we can talk all you want about Soma. And I was like, oh. Yeah, that sounds awesome. So we we ended up chatting for for a full hour about Soma and the development of Amnesia: The Dark Descent, which uh, all of that is on the site. I was rushing to finish it last night uh, while watching the Bears game, and it's just a a really fascinating guy that I think even if you're not that into horror, he articulates why the genre is effective for the people that do really enjoy it. Uh, right. Some designers are better than others at articulating their design process and and. Thomas Grip is is exceptional at articulating exactly why how frictional gets to the places it's at uh, when it makes its games, um, and you know is also really good at deconstructing why the genre has gone a gone a little off the rails in other places. You know, even he you know starts taking pot shots at a game like Silent Hill Two. You know, n- n- certainly one of the more famous horror games, basically because you know. Amnesia is famous for never taking agency away from the player. You right. are always in control in moments where 
you 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 can break it if you want to, but 99% of players aren't going to to do anything. You know, there there are sequences where the monsters have you pinned into a closet and you could jump out, but chances are you're going to stay in the closet and hope they go away. But Thomas's point being that most games and in Silent Hill they do this uh, with Pyramid Head where you're hiding in a closet and Pyramid Head comes out and he kind of thrashes around and he's screwing around with a mannequin and and it is scary but there's also no tension because you can't die like right. you know the letterbox has come up it is a cut scene uh so you are you so are it's dis- disturbing but it's not really yeah. scary yeah like you, you can't screw it up whereas in amnesia you are constantly put in situations where you could screw it up or, or it's the fact that the black bars have not come up means that you could die maybe the game is going to put you in a situation where you suddenly have to run Um, but so, so he, he, that, that's how he points out a lot of what works for the amnesia games is not even necessarily, um, scaring you because they're doing a lot of the work. It's more just putting you in a situation where you are in control and can look around and, and it makes, it makes a lot of sense. So unfortunately that game is not coming till 2015, but I was also not surprised at the end of that trailer that it mentioned, uh, you know, PS4. Right. So it's a... PC and PS4 joint, but I obviously Sony's doing a really good job of really early lining up uh, developers uh, to create PS4 versions of their games, and this is yet another one that you know. Were I not buying both because it's my job, hard to imagine that I would be picking up a, an Xbox One at launch. Um, yeah, increasingly. <clears throat> I wouldn't say that it's difficult to imagine, but I, I, I think definitely my first choice would be the PS4 at this point. There's just more... I mean, granted, you know, if you're not interested in indie games, you know, maybe the PS4 doesn't look as appealing to you, but I don't know, man. Just looking at that lineup of, of indie stuff coming to that system, it's like... I It's hard to argue with. And, you know, something like Soma is... it You know, it might not seem like a big get just on paper, but, you know, people really fucking love Amnesia. And everything I've seen, you know, from those viral videos to that trailer they put out today, which is fucking creepy as shit, man. Yeah. Uh, that's looking real good. That's looking real good. I'm very excited about that. I'm also terrified of that, but I'm very excited about that. Yeah, I, you know, I was a little disappointed when Thomas told me it wasn't going to be coming out till 2015, and then also very excited that it wasn't coming out until 2015 because yeah i mean those amnesia the dark descent is just utterly terrifying uh for all sorts of reasons and you know i'm I'm glad they get to take their sweet time i'm glad amnesia was good enough i mean they've been working on this game for three years already yeah and so by the time it comes out in in 2015 they'll be nearing the five-year mark and it's 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 cool that they can they can wait that long you know I, I doubt that has anything to do with Sony's involvement you know it sounds like maybe they've just sewed up that what they call you know console first debut so it still might come to Xbox One wouldn't be surprised if it did it's just you know it's gonna show up first on on PS4 and playing a game like that on a big ass TV I bet would be something else um, so yeah if you have not watched the the teaser for for Soma which is actually it, it's it's more than we usually get out of a teaser. It's oh, yeah. like four and a half minutes long, and and, and appears creepy. to appears to pull from uh, the first uh, couple, like the opening moments of the game. But you know, the game's exploring the concept of the soul and uh, consciousness transference, and it definitely gets across some of that uh, very early on. And one of the things that uh, Thomas explained to me was that it's not uncommon for a game to explore 
AI and the idea of consciousness transference, but when he started trying to figure out how they were going to tell that story, they they couldn't quite crack what made it why it had to be a game, right? right. Like constantly the story would kind of boil down to, man, he could he could write this as a book or this could be a movie. You know, the interactive nature of games and the idea that you're in the first person is what makes it unique and what makes the the games of frictional makes unique. And what en- what en- what ended up allowing them to crack it was uh, him sort of playing SCP, uh, which is this horror series that the people are, are probably familiar with. And and basically, it's the idea that you start stretching the personalities out, and then actually layering on the personalities of the humans uh, into the interface. Right. So you don't see a whole lot of that in the trailer, but you see a little bit of where they're probably going with that. Where the reason you'll be able to better understand the idea of this consciousness transference is because you're going to be inhabiting this consciousness in some sort of way, which is which is incredibly creepy uh, to think about, um, but also really exciting to see what they might do with it. Yeah, I don't know, man. 2015 seems like an awful long time away, but like you said, it also seems like just maybe far enough away, you know, just for relief purposes. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's been uh, getting all that horror stuff ready uh, for cool. this week. Has got me right. I got a bunch of stuff ready for next week. Probably the thing I'm the most excited about an interview I've been I've been teasing um, will, will happen next week that I'm I'm psyched to have go on the site. You were all um, nervous and shit too. Like you were yeah, all telling me that was the first yeah, time I've been moves. nervous for an interview in a long time. Movie people make me nervous. Yeah. I can I can bullshit with the best of them on uh, on video games, but uh, you know it's just sometimes interview subjects are if they're reluctant. I can get whatever I need out of them in a in a game interview because I can come up with 15 BS questions pretty quickly. But, you know, movies are not my thing, and I don't have that much experience. So if you have a reluctant subject, I would feel like I would just crumble. But fortunately, that didn't happen. So um, I mean, even movies are more probably my thing, but at the same time, I still have that exact same reaction anytime I had to interview, like, a movie person. Like, when I had to interview Nicholas Wending Refn or David Cronenberg back when I was doing Screened, like, I was just a blubbering mess of jelly the whole time. I had no fucking idea what I was, you know, I mean, I knew what I was going to ask, but I had no idea how to ask them well, you know? And it was and like... It just, and it takes long to get into the rhythm, right? Like, mm-hmm. it's even, even, like, big interviews that I do in games... You know, if I'm sitting down with like a Jonathan Blow, like an intimidating figure, you know, I'm not intimidated to interview them, but it, it, you, there's a certain weight to the interview, and right. within a couple of minutes, you know, it's fine, and then we're just having a conversation, and and it flows from there, and it's just with movies, there is a a bigger length of time before you settle in, and then it's just a conversation, um, and that's that's what I found with with my subject, um, that it just it took longer to get there, but once I was there. You know, I closed the tab on the questions I had come up. It's been a long time since I came up with a set of questions to ask if I blanked. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't normally do that. I don't normally do that. Um, but I did do that with this one in the event that, oh, shit, I need something. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah. So, that was my well, week. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how that one turns out. Absolutely. Um, so, I think that probably covers what we've been playing this week. We yeah. We Pull some headlines now, and if uh, people in the chat want to start shooting some questions, uh, we'll we'll get to those uh, later. Just shoot those my way in the chat. Um, Saints Row DLC. Yeah, enter the dominatrix. Enter the dominatrix October twenty third. Uh, I'm excited, Europe, but twenty second in America. 
Okay. Uh, I'm excited, but also I'm already seeing a stack of games come up, and that's around. I think that's going to drop just before shit gets crazy. Yeah, which happens at the end of the month. Um, and admittedly, having played a whole lot of GTA over the last few weeks, which don't worry, this is not dovetailing into or you know spinning off into a giant GTA discussion again, but. Uh, having played a whole lot of open world games, including Saints Row and GTA, over the last few weeks, I'm not sure if I'm ready to just jump right back into uh, Saints Row all over again and just continue that cycle anew. Because I believe me, I want to play that DLC, especially if that uh, the Saints Save Christmas DLC turns out to actually be a thing that exists. Um, <laughs> I think so. I'm pretty sure I saw that mentioned in the press release. Yeah, I think I think that's coming, which which sounds great. Um, but I, I also might need a little bit of time away from that stuff before I uh, before I jump back in. I think, you know, I already know kind of where I, how I feel about Saints Row. I, if for some reason this DLC is extraordinary, you know, I will make time for it. But otherwise, I think I am more looking forward to setting that aside for post game of the year, you know, when we have some time off and I can just kind of screw with what I want to do. Um, I think that would be the perfect time to play that. Uh, so that that's sort of where I've compartmentalized when I'll play that. I think it's going to be great. I'm excited to play it. But unless people are, like, losing their mind, um, yeah. I'm also looking forward to playing it a little bit later. Same. Uh, let's see. I really only have, like, one or two noteworthy headlines here. Uh, All right. THQ has risen from the dead, albeit very briefly, uh, to sue UFC and Electronic Arts. Uh, yeah. Over what they are calling... Uh, Let's see what was that was the term they used because it was pretty great torturate, uh, yeah, like a tortious interference, which I don't even know if that's a word or not. But uh, basically, they the THQ or whatever is left of THQ, whatever whatever building somewhere has THQ's uh, rights, whatever company has their rights at this point, uh, is suing EA and THQ or and, and UFC over the uh, allegations that EA basically fucked up their their ufc license before they went bankrupt uh mm. ea at one point was talking about buying out thq outright so there was dive uh divulgence of financial information during the course of those negotiations and then at some point uh ea said nah we're not gonna buy you and then apparently within a week or two of that ufc said hey thq fuck you we want out of our deal so the allegation there is that EA may have, uh, you know, poisoned the well a little bit and found a way to tell UFC, hey, these guys, they're going bankrupt soon. You should totally come, you know, hang out with us or whatever. And uh, in all, out of all of that, uh, now to some whoever whoever it is that has THQ is is now suing over this. I still don't really understand who it is that's even left to actually do that. But probably the shareholders, probably the people that uh, aren't. Aren't, aren't exactly making a whole lot you know they sold everything piecemeal to try and make more money but i, th- I want to say what i remember was that everyone still kind of took a loss um certainly didn't make all their money back or what they're looking for so this this certainly seems like a situation where you know the, the the shareholders or whatever's left or how exactly that happens when a company dissolves in this fashion right. are, are just looking for you know whatever they can get um you know, I, I think THQ what also sued Sega over like Company of Heroes on Steam to try and there was something along those lines. I remember vaguely, um, but EA is not above some some shady stuff some in the background. I mean, they uh, you know John Riccatello you know famously you know started talking to the Infinity Ward guys <clears throat> who would later become the Respawn guys 
uh, when uh, when Infinity Ward was starting to think about whether they wanted to stick with Activision. So, you know, the fact that EA would... And you know what? This is probably isn't just EA. EA's stuff just happens to come to the surface. Maybe right. they, you know, maybe it's just they have bad luck with their dirty laundry getting aired uh, a little more frequently than other publishers. My guess is that this is rather common practice and not all that crazy. Um, but, uh, yeah, EA has certainly done this before so it would not shock me if they were if they were doing this again yeah and the timing that they're listing does kind of make a lot of sense because it is literally within like two weeks of ea allegedly pulling out of negotiations with thq that ufc was all like hey no we're going over here now so yeah there's definitely it seems like there's something to this i just don't know how far they're actually going to get with it considering there is you know very little of uh, the entity known as thq left at this point and I'm sure EA could find a way to settle this pretty quick if they really wanted to. So, yeah, you know what those shareholders want? They money. want money. They just want money. They don't want. They don't want the UFC license. No, they're not looking to get the UFC license back. They're just looking to get paid. So we'll see how that goes for them. Yeah, uh, Enslaved is coming to the PC uh, later this month. Uh, is also getting re-released on PS3. Uh, we, I guess, with the DLC maybe or something mm. like that. Um, did you play Enslaved? I loved that game. I did. I played Enslaved, uh, I think about a year ago, actually. Um, and I, yeah, I liked oh, so that you game played, So you played it well after it came out. Well after it came out. Uh, I had, like, a free, you know, weekend there, so I just kind of blew, blew through it. But that game, yeah, that game's real, real good. Um, that, that, is, that is one of the games I perhaps consider most tragic that it did not really pick up a strong audience, because uh, it deserved it. It deserved, it deserved to be played and enjoyed by many people. Uh, you know, yeah, it's, it was a little tragic that it didn't uh, get more traction, but I also liked that it was kind of a one-and-done. Like, yeah. I, th- I think it kind of it told the story. Oh, sneeze? Nope, not going to no. happen. Okay. Um, and it could have, you know, you saw where they could have gone with more games. Sure. But I'm also glad that it didn't happen because it is, I think, a really just – it's a really sweet story mm-hmm. about, like, two characters. And, you know y- – when you hear about the setting, it sounds just as rote as anything else in video games with a post-apocalypse and traveling across the country to go find something. But it really is just like this really touching buddy story. Uh, and it, it, like the characters don't, you know, it's not a spoiler to say the characters don't fall in love. Like right. the story is not about that. And that's where you would expect it to go. And it's actually just more about uh, these two characters and their relationship as a, uh, yeah, it's just a it's a wonderful game. If you have not played Enslaved, you know, and you got nothing to play right now for some reason, you're in a slow period. Um, man, check that game out because totally. it was it was tragically overlooked. And and I think not anyone that a did a long pl- game by any stretch, like not a huge time investment. So like six hours, yeah, maybe six or like seven, if that. Probably. And it's you know, and it, it it uses those hours correctly. It uses them effectively. It doesn't stretch out shit. It doesn't need to. And the acting, it's another one of those cases where the performances really do kind of make the game overall. I think. Yeah, it's, it was definitely an instance where the performance capture uh, didn't feel like a like a gimmick. Like it was absolutely used in a, in a way that that felt right. Yeah, um, I think Alex Ward wrote that too, right? Oh, did he? Alex Ward, and that's I'm thinking that right? Uh, Ward, ah, uh, this uh, enslaved. I don't remember who. Wrote no, that. not Alex Ward. Who am I thinking of? Who's that TV writer or that film? Oh, writer? oh, uh, I, I know who you're talking about. The the guy who always works with Danny Boyle. Alex Garland. Yeah, Alex Garland. Yeah, That's not who it Alex is. Ward. Yeah. yeah, the Criterion guy wrote, and it's that, that would have made a whole lot of sense. 
but no, I, I was like, wait, no, but yeah, no, Alex, uh, Alex, uh, now I can't. I, now I, I said his last name. Yeah. I can't remember it. What the hell is Alex Ward? Uh, Alex Ward. Uh, let him know on Twitter how much you liked uh, Enslaved. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and yeah, Andy Circus. Uh, Andy Circus was like the the lead performance in that game, and he was fucking great. Yeah, um, and I never played, but uh, heard great things about the Pixies Perfect Ten DLC. Mm. Um, heard good things about that. I know Vinny really liked it, uh, but uh, I didn't have a chance to play it, so uh, I'm gonna add that to the stack of things that I should. Probably check out, and I will say in public, so hopefully someone will bug me to actually play it um, and actually check it out, because I heard good things. Totally. Uh, I really only have short headlines at this point. I don't know if you've got anything bigger. Uh, there's mostly just short stuff, you know, Gabriel Knight remake yep. coming, but I, I never played that, but people seem to really like it, I, so, so I'll check out that remake. Uh, there are reports circulating around that, uh, the PlayStation 4 will not be supporting Bluetooth headsets for voice chat. Uh, this comes courtesy of Game Informer. I don't know how big of a deal. I mean, I guess that's a big deal for anyone who already owns a a Bluetooth headset and wanted to use it. I, I just, Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't really do voice chat very much in games, so I guess that's less of a big deal to me, but I can see how that would probably piss a lot of people off, wouldn't it? Yeah, that seems a bit of a bummer. Uh, You know, I, I, think it's kind of crappy that none of the stuff for the the xbox carries over but at least they have the argument of they have a proprietary wireless signal right so i think i still think it's shitty but uh it's uh, more understandable or explainable shitty yeah whereas uh, not having bluetooth uh carry over seems that seems like a bummer that seems like Um, an unfortunate decision yeah, it sounds like, you know, your USB-based stuff, like Astros, you know, like I've got mm-hmm. those on my head now. That stuff will work, but it's not going to work at launch. That'll come in a in a separate update. Not sure why, but, well, I guess I do know why. Everything's coming in hot, and stuff like that is going to come and get patched in the, in the weeks ahead uh, of the, the launch of those two machines. Because, you know, I mean, it's it's October 11th. We're yeah. just over a month out. I saw Adam Boys tweeted a picture of a countdown clock. Uh, in their offices yeah we're uh, getting there man we're getting there we're close we're close so yeah it seems unfortunate i i always think it's hard not to be extremely cynical about stuff like this yeah. you know is 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 it not supported because uh you know they're trying to cut down costs on each individual unit and including a bluetooth chip would raise it enough that they couldn't they couldn't they couldn't include it or is it just those fuckers will buy another set of accessories, which they will. Yeah. Which we will. Um, we will, because we are we are idiots like that. We will totally do it. Yeah, yeah. So that that stuff, it's hard not to be super cynical about that, you know, especially when you look at, like, the prices of Xbox 360 hard drives. Sure. Um, which they ch- always try to have some ridiculous justification about security when you actually could just rip open the Xbox 360 enclosures and swap in your own hard drive if you wanted to. I mean, only certain types of hard drives worked, but you could do that if you wanted to. Um, that stuff always infuriated me. And controllers are freaking expensive. Like, look at that Steam controller. That thing is going to cost, like, 60 to $80. Like, the Xbox One PS4 controllers, like, those are going to cost probably 60 to $80. Like, I don't know if there are MSRPs up for... I'm going to look right now. I want to see if there's PS4 controller. It's worth noting that some people are saying 60 bucks. This, this this all could be patched in at some point. This and Sony hasn't necessarily confirmed these reports. It's just Game Informer had information from an email, I guess, that said that this was the case. So, you know, for all we know, it could actually be changed around and fixed, but Well, I hope so. Yeah, I hope so. That would be, that, nice. would be uh, that would be nice because I understand why the games don't work. The accessories 
uh, I have less sympathy for, and that often feels much more exploitative of yeah, consumers. Certainly. Uh, uh, Drive composer Cliff Martinez is apparently working on the soundtrack for Far Cry 4. Patrick, what are you more excited about? The fact that there is a Far Cry 4 or the fact that Cliff Martinez is working on Far Cry 4? I mean, I don't think it's a big surprise there's another Far Cry. I mean, I yeah. thought Far Cry 3 was pretty good. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the, the story fell apart, mm-hmm. uh, and, and that really killed the game for me uh, in, in its second half. Um, in a way that, you know, it, it didn't seem to kill it for the other guys as much, but it definitely sort of I hated halfway every character through. in that game. And I realized that was sort of on purpose, depending on how you want to take their writer's sort of stance on things, but I, that didn't oh, stop me from God, I, man. If we had this morning show back when that guy was giving interviews. Oh, yeah. Holy shit. Mm-hmm. That, oh, that, mm, those interviews bothered me in exactly every wrong way. Yep. It's getting me angry just thinking about it. Uh, but yeah, I you know I'm excited for far, another Far Cry. I I liked what they did uh, with that franchise. Uh, you know I also really liked Far Cry Two, but I understood the direction they went with uh, Far Cry Three, and I'm more excited to see. I would much rather we find out that that composer was erroneous in saying he's working on Far Cry Four, and instead he's working on the full fledged sequel to Far Cry Blood Dragon. Right. Sure. I'd much yes. rather see him working on that because uh, it does seem to be, by all accounts, uh, that was successful enough that they're going to give that, you know, maybe not its own full retail release, but I don't think whatever we see from uh, the Blood Dragon team uh, a second time around will just be an add-on to Far Cry 4. I hope uh, not. I, would, I, I wouldn't be surprised if that ended up being, you know, Far Cry 4 is probably a couple years off. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if the Blood Dragon guys who had, I think, something like nine months to turn around that add-on. Mm-hmm. I bet that is sort of like the lead-up to Far Cry Four. Like yeah. that gets a, get gets people interested and excited another Far Cry uh, ahead of the release of Far Cry Four, as opposed to after. I would definitely like to see them get more because I I think I was one of the people that was not as into Blood Dragon as everyone else. I think conceptually it's pretty cool and there's some definitely some really good moments in that game, but uh, or that that expansion. But it did not do it for me quite as much as everyone else. And I'm hoping that maybe just having more time and more resources at their disposal will help make something a little bit better personally. Yeah, they were they were stretching the joke yeah. uh, a little too far, and a lot a lot of the jokes didn't really land. But when you did talk to them about the time constraints in which it was created, yes. I feel like enough of it lands conceptually yeah. that given more time, I think they could stick the landing in a way uh, that was much more effective. They definitely pulled off way more than they had any right to, given what they had at their disposal at that point. Yeah, uh, for sure. GTA Online players are going to be compensated with half a million dollars of in-game uh, ducats. Patrick, what are you going to spend your ill-gotten fortune on in Grand Theft Auto Online? I don't know. I guess I would have to turn on Grand Theft Auto Online to find out. That's not meant as a sick burn as much as I just don't just have true. time. Yeah. It's just true. Um, you know, I uh, yeah, I, I tried to play it that first week, uh, try and play with the other guys, but um, yeah, I just it, could, it didn't work. So I'll get back to it eventually. My, I have a, a local buddy that is still getting through the single-player game, and when he's done with that, my guess is I'll, I'll jump in and check that out. But, yeah, I just don't – I've got so much other things to play right now that I don't I don't need to extend my Grand Theft Auto experience. But uh, by all accounts of other folks I've talked to that have jumped in, uh, it does seem it does seem pretty fun. Sure. Um, and, and if they do – I know they're supposed to be adding heists 
to the game at some point. Yes. And if they add heists to the game, that will probably be the moment that I jump in. Yeah, I'm going to do so many goddamn heists with people. That will be fun. Uh, last thing I've got, uh, I don't know if you're as excited about this as I am, but uh, there is a new game coming from the team behind Sleeping Dogs, Triad Wars, which is set within the Sleeping Dogs universe. How excited on a scale of one to holy shit are you about this? Uh, I'd... I'm I am excited to watch Vinny Caravella play another Sleeping Dogs game. Sleeping Dogs uh, to, was great. To, to, yeah, and I really enjoyed that game. I think it's I think it's really interesting. I have, uh, along with many others, uh, you know, railed against the industry's obsession with secrecy in instances that make no sense. Right. Uh, when a, a film is really successful, they come out and just say, "Hey, we're making another one." Yeah, and 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 games do that behind the scenes. But don't just say it uh, for for reasons I, I've never quite understood. It's it's because the you know games are built on mechanics, and there's obviously a fear that you know that's going to get ripped off before the game comes out. But uh, saying you're making another Sleeping Dogs doesn't say anything about what you're doing. It just right. gets people excited, and maybe they go and check out the original Sleeping Dogs. Like, wow, if they're making a sequel, maybe I need to check out what all the hype was about with that original game. And they've done that with. Uh, Deus Ex, they've done that with Sleeping Dogs. Um, not a surprise, it's happening with their North American properties, uh, the, the Ido stuff, as opposed to the Square Enix stuff. Sure. But, uh, I mean, I guess they you know, they announced a new Kingdom Hearts, so they're announcing stuff that are years and years off, but I like that trend. Mm-hmm. I think it's it's healthy for the industry and, and also, I think, encourages checking out the back catalog while people wait for more information about whatever's coming next. Totally. I'm 100% agree with you, and yes, I think it is incredibly dumb that we, like companies are still so skittish about even mentioning that there's a sequel coming. Like, of course there's another Battlefield. Of course there's another fucking Call of Duty. You know, and in this case, you know, maybe there wasn't enough, as much of an av- of course there's going to be another Sleeping Dogs, but I am very glad to hear there's something more coming from the Sleeping Dogs universe. That is probably one of my, you know, I mean, whatever, that game had some problems, but, you know, that game is so much better than it really had any any reason to be. It, it, it should have been a disaster considering the whole cancellation bringing it back thing and i'm glad they are turning that into a franchise yeah and you know having just played you know gta 5 you know mechanically on like a like core gameplay level like sleeping dogs is a much better game the combat the hand-to-hand combat in that game is fantastic yeah and i i didn't find the sandbox in sleeping dogs to be that much fun i don't know if that's because because of games like gta 4 i became trained to just sort of like play the missions and not and I've just sort of graduated beyond having that much fun in the sandbox. But, you know, clearly Vinny would go nuts with that stuff. So maybe that's totally. more on me than on the game. But uh, I'm curious to see. I feel like they, they nailed the, the mechanic side of it. Definitely curious to see what they do with the world part of it. Uh, another another go round. Totally. That's what I got. You got anything else? Uh, I probably briefly, I would say I am stoked to see, uh, speaking of Square Enix, mm-hmm. uh, that they're going to port uh, Final Fantasy VI to iOS and Android. Ah, uh, yes. If there was a game, an RPG uh, for me to want to double dip on, you know, Final Fantasy VI slash three is right up there for me with Chrono Trigger. Uh, I, and I've never, I've never beaten six. I have gotten mm. to, like, oh, I, I, I don't want to spoil what happens in that game, but it's been so long. But people know that have played six. There is a final world in the sky that you get to, and you split into multiple teams. And uh, I once had a save that got corrupted, uh, where Mm. the save just vanished off the cartridge, uh, and I never went back and finished it. Um, And 
So I'd really like to finish that game. So I, I definitely am stoked to go back and play uh, Final Fantasy VI because I loved the story in that. I loved the battle system. Like it's it's one of the few 40, 50 hour games that I would actually happily go back and play uh, a second or third time. Surely. That's all I have to okay. say about Final Fantasy stuff. Sorry. <laughs> That's fine. That's yeah. fine. But Final Fantasy VI is real good. Real good. Um, let's see. Um, uh, I miss Savo or Miss 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 Avo. Bluetooth will be patched in later, so okay. maybe that's maybe that's gonna happen. Maybe that'll be happen. Uh, uh, 90s vibe. Do you think Bungie will eventually bring Destiny to PC? Yeah, probably. Yeah, seems logical that that would happen. The eventually. way the way they have the way they have teased it in the past when asked about that question is. I, I I suspect they are waiting to use that as a kind of holy shit moment as the game gets closer. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't have a whole lot of experience on the PC, but they don't have experience on PS4 either, um, and, and they're they're making that work. But uh, yeah, I, I expect that uh, I expect that we'll see see that game come out on the PC at some point. I would like it to come out on the PC. That would be that would be neat. Yeah, I'm probably gonna play that on Xbox. So you know whatever. Yeah, so I mean, so am I, but. Um, would be cool to see that expand. Uh, the friend asked, uh, this seems like in relation to Soma, uh, it should be playable on an Oculus Rift. It's not going to be. Um, when I talked to Thomas Grip, he said that a lot of the, uh, they do certain visual effects uh, in terms of changing the field of view uh, and zooming in the camera during certain moments of the game that would not work on an Oculus Rift. But if they can find time, uh, he told me that they would like to make some oculus specific experiences uh in the lead up to the game um that is mostly predicated on how far they can get ahead in building the core game uh that he can kind of split off and and have a chance to mess with that um but the idea of frictional creating oculus specific horror experiences sounds real shitty that sounds pretty sounds, fucking re- great. sounds real shitty yeah um Bane122 asks, Brad bought a Wii U, mm-hmm. although I still have his Nintendo Network ID, and he'll never get it. Uh, surely that's a sign things have turned around for that system. Yes. Yes. I... Brad Shoemaker is the tipping point for the Wii U. It's all gravy from here. Nothing nothing but you know cocaine and blowjobs for Nintendo from here on out, because they, <laughs> they are set now that Brad Shoemaker's on board. But certainly, I, th- I think you, you, know, you could admit that the Wii U is in a better position... Uh, software-wise, if you were on the fence and you were a big Nintendo fan, right now is kind of a great time to jump in. I mean, yeah, but let's let's okay, let's just be realistic about this. There's some good stuff coming out in the next like month and a half, mm-hmm. and then what does 2014 look like right now? Not very good. Yeah, that's not very see, good. Once you get past like November, December, like that's where things start getting a little more sparse. And, you know, when you're looking at, like, the third-party support, you're kind of going, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm, I'm going to say maybe now is the best time to get in on a Wii U, but I don't know if that still makes it a good time. We'll see. Yeah, that's probably a fair point. Super Mario 3D World, man. Yeah, Worth no, I know. Hey, that game's going to be fucking great. I'm not saying that game's not going to be great, but... Yeah. Okay. Uh... Peter Wilson asks, what are your thoughts on Peter Moore saying that single-player-only games are going away? Uh, I don't have the quote in front of me, but you know, it wouldn't shock me that with the direction EA is taking with a lot of its stuff that they... It depends on sort of what he means by that. Does he mean... You know, if you look at Titanfall, 
Mm -hmm. That's a game that tries to straddle that line, which is to bring a lot of the drama and and storylines that go along with a single-player campaign, but integrate that in the multiplayer, knowing that that's what most people play with that series. You know, most people are there for the multiplayer. They spend a lot of time and a lot of money building a flashy campaign that gets quickly played, never seen again, and for a lot of their audience, never seen at all. Right. Um, So I expect that maybe what his comment means is looking at what Titanfall is doing and thinking, are there ways that we can merge the two in a meaningful way? I think it's way too early to know if Titanfall has pulled that off successfully. You know, I think it's going to be super interesting as, you know, I've enjoyed, thoroughly enjoyed the time I've spent with Titanfall in a sort of contained uh, conference setting but, you know, the rubber is going to meet the road when I sit down with that game <clears throat> and I, I start playing it. And I want to see how that single-player stuff actually integrates. Like, is it just here's a setup for the mission and it's just a more complicated uh, version of an ob- objective-based multiplayer mode? Like, right. I don't know. Like, I, I need being to... like, you know, a version of the side missions from, like, Saints Row where it's like you all just go to a point on the map and they're like, okay, go, t- you know, do a bunch – go kill a bunch of these dudes over here. And then that's that's your that's how all the single-player missions kind of play out. It's just go kill dudes over here. Okay, now a bu- you as a team go over there and just do that. Like, is it really a narrative or is it just kind of like a series of missions? Right, and does that – you know, what happens after you've seen all of those maps? Like, right. does the narrative change each time? Um, I could certainly see, you know, if they're able to pull it off, you know, the way you start doing DLC for that game or, the, you know, they could do it in two ways. You know, you actually have new maps that continue the story or have a new angle on the story, but you could also probably start revising the current maps and just changing the story elements. Yeah. And that's a, it's a reason to go back into that map. And it's essentially just doing, you know, refreshing the objectives or changing the objectives. But if they are able to meaningful tie, tie the story into it, you know, maybe that's a reason for me to jump in. But I also that also is predicated that that game is going to have a particularly interesting story. And although, you know, the Modern Warfare games had some cool setups, like I was never invested for the characters. No. Um, you know, I thought they they had good reasons to set up the scenarios they did, and they had some pretty shocking moments that I think they justified in really interesting ways. Um, I, it's just way too early for me to say, but I feel like they look at Titanfall and think, how can we do this? with other games because if Titanfall succeeds it it will bring in single player into liking individuals like myself mm-hmm. but they're going to be playing the game well beyond the six to eight hour campaign yeah it's trying to break that mold of players who just you know don't care about things like you know that that stuff yeah it's it's like yeah I'm sorry I'm just repeating what you said but yes I, I I think that 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 is the test and we'll see how that that all plays out uh Blackwatch are you excited for Thief like what? You didn't you didn't see my passive aggressive comment when I put up the trailer earlier this week about <laughs> or the long uh, series of passive aggressive comments we've made about that game since like E3. Yeah, yeah, I, you know, I you know, I the bit of the bit I played of that game uh was not very impressive, but you know, my caveat to that has been that when I first played Human Revolution, I wasn't very impressed either. Yeah. Um and I ended up really liking Human Revolution and I would much rather Thief comes out and genuinely surprises me and is a terrific game because I like those types of games. I want Thief to be good. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I have played is not very good. And I think, you know, I, I, along with a lot of the other members of the press, are more cautious than ever about the time we spend with games after, you know, Alien Colonial Marines. Mm-hmm. You know, that game is one where we, 
I think almost unanimously across the press said, this looks pretty cool. And yeah. it did look pretty cool. It did. But it look, wasn't it, very good. No, and that's the thing, though, is that it, it looks very cool in the same ways again and again, which should have been our, our immediate clue that maybe these are not actually live gameplay demos. Maybe this is all just, you know, kind of a bunch of hooey. Um, but I can't remember what we were talking about before we started talking about Alien. My brain is just not working today. Well, Thief, you know, Thief, yeah. I, th I did, I played Thief, so th there's the difference there, but, you know, I used, I used the term post-Dishonored World in mm -hmm. when I put up the trailer. You know, I, I'm someone that really, really, really liked Dishonored, and uh, that doesn't mean that Thief has to be Dishonored. Thief has no. different sensibilities as a stealth game, um, but Dishonored set the bar pretty high for that type of game, even yes. if, even if Thief has its own principles and characteristics that make it unique. Thief tends to be more stealth-oriented, whereas Dishonored was about empowering the player when they are broken from the stealth mold to be able to fight uh, in against guards and get back into situations. Rather than like the typical save-load, save-load, um, Dishonored empowered the player in a way. And a Thief doesn't do that, although Thief does have sequences where you can fight the guards and, and get back uh, into the dark. Um... I just, you know, the 20 minutes I spent with it were not very impressive. And the reports about that game's development have not made it sound uh, particularly well handled. But all sorts of games have difficult development periods and come out on the other side okay. I just, you know, I try and be as transparent about my experience because I feel like that's all I can do with the information I have. Did you see the, the Polygon thing that went up this week? Like, Brancrescente did an interview with them about that game, and there's a footnote at the end that originally uh, their writer, Chris Plant, was going to do that interview, and the studio straight up said no. He did that profile on us that talked about all the, like, strife we've had at the studio. We won't do this with him. So they changed the interviewer, but they used all the same questions, but apparently they are now blacklisting Chris Plant because he wrote a thing about all the troubles they've been having. That's not a good sign. No. Um, that's not a good sign to when you start getting into that When you're <laughs> that, that level of defensive about anyone even writing about what's going on at your studio, that means shit has probably flown off the rails there, which is unfortunate. But what can you Well, do? And, it's, and it starts to, you know, you don't want the, the press to, to start building a narrative against you. I feel like when they, yeah. when they do something like that, that puts the, the press on the defensive. That puts the developer on the defensive when the way to handle that would is just to go into Spin City, mm -hmm. which was to sit down with Chris and explain thoughtfully and as honestly as you're able to explain what happened, why that happened, the situ why that situation arose, why this game's development was complicated, and here the, here's how we're coming out on the other side of it. But when you tell the someone that... Essentially, they're legitimizing the report by blacklisting him. Yeah. Um, or at least lending additional weight to what he reported. You make it look uh, like a big deal no matter what. Yeah, exactly. And that doesn't necessarily have to be the case. And like I said, game development is a, a messy process. And a lot of games have really rough patches. And so they would have better, been better suited, suited to talk to Chris, the guy who reported that, and channel that through him explain their side through chris who was the reporter that you know originally broke a lot of this information that would have been the perfect conduit for that uh but instead you know they chose to you know make a thing out of it and and that just sends a bad sign about their confidence about the game sure 
and about so their I hope I general. yeah I I hope Thief is good I hope Thief is very good I I want a new Thief game to be good but yeah things like this start to to add up and it makes you a little uncomfortable but I'm looking forward to playing more of the game so fingers crossed we always want good games yeah nobody bad wants games. bad games I certainly don't because that means more bullshit that I have to play at some point yeah if it's a if it's gonna be a bad game then you know where it's going mm-hmm. send it to New York going to my desk. Uh, I'm actually gonna. So have what to... do you? Uh... Oh, go ahead. I was gonna say I actually I, I I threw an idea out there on Twitter yesterday, and I realized that I I immediately made a mistake when I did it. Uh, pitching the idea for a new live stream called Blight Club, which was me just playing the worst games that I can possibly imagine, probably with other people, so that it's not just me suffering. Uh, you should you should do that. I think that might be. You know, one of the things, you know, you, Vine, have talked about is mm-hmm. trying to figure out a way that, you know, we can do some of the stuff that the guys in the, the studio back in San Francisco do, but technology kind of gets in our way because yeah. there's not a way to send the video in real time, but a bad game, mm-hmm. that might be, that might be something we could pull off. That uh, might be. Um, so we should think about that. Blight Club is a really, that's a really good name. I thought, I, it, you know, and it was literally the instant I thought of the name, I was like, well, I should just put this out there and see what people think. And of course they fucking want me to do it because people love it when I suffer. Yeah, um, I, Alex, I think we got to I think we got to find a way to do that. We might be, they might be tough to find enough time as, as the review season gets into full swing, but we do have a bit of a slow period here yeah. um, before that starts. So yeah, we should talk about that off camera and see if there's a, a way we can get this to, I've got, to work. Because that's got, a really good idea. i got to figure out my live stream setup. Like, it's one thing to record not live video here. I can kind of tweak that stuff and make it work. I haven't ever really gotten live streaming successfully working from my setup, so i got to figure that out. But once I do, I will probably try and make that make that happen. Yeah, I can, I can help you do that. I have, do. I have suffered on the cross of live streaming uh, the last couple of months. And I, I think I've got most of it down. All right. Um, and I, I think we can, I would think we can find a way to, to make that, let me, uh, to make that work. Let me pick your brain a little bit on Monday. Cause that's when I'm going to start trying to set this stuff up a little bit and figure out what okay. I'm going to do. And uh, we'll, I'll, 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 I'll ask you as many dumb questions as I can about trying to get like, you know, things to sync up properly. It's a huge pain in the ass. I bet. It's a huge pain in the ass. Um, so what, what are you playing this weekend? Uh, this weekend, I'm going to play some more uh, Wind Waker. Uh, I've been really enjoying that remake a whole lot. Uh, every every minute I've spent with it I has kind of been like a nice little bit of nostalgic glee for me. Uh, I'm super glad that game holds up. Uh, I'm going to play some more Audio Surf 2, which I've been enjoying uh, in its early release state. That's one of the few early release games that I feel like has not suffered from being an early release on, hmm. on Steam thus far. And then I have uh, The Wolf Among Us, obviously, you know fables uh first episode i've heard nothing but good things about it and what i saw of it uh, a few months back was pretty great as well so i'm definitely gonna dig into that and play through that first episode this weekend yeah maybe i'll try and do that too i have on saturday i have my 10-year high school reunion oh which i'm going which i'm going to go to okay i didn't go to my tenure uh because i was living in boston at the time and i did not really feel like going back to hang out with those people at a fucking golf club <laughs> where they, were holding. they were having it at, like the the event room at like a local like uh you know yeah like like a you know a golf course and i was like well that doesn't sound like fun. that sounds that sounds that sounds not good no no that doesn't seem like the kind of place that alex navarro goes not so much uh so. But mine's just at some bar in the city and a, a lot of my friends uh i had so there was sort of like a core group of friends in high school and they're all kind of still around and a bunch of us are going to go and i feel like 
it would be entertaining. I don't know what kind of entertaining quite yet. Yeah. But I think it's it's worth three hours of my time. Sure. Yeah. I it, You know, if I were in the area at the time, I might have gone. Though, to be honest, like, a lot of people I went to high school with are still in the area, which I find a little bit unnerving. So it's always sort of weird to be, like, the one person who comes back. It's like, hey, so what are you all doing? We all live here. <laughs> Just... I went and made something of myself. Well, no, it's not How even about that, you? because plenty of them are, are successful and have, you know, gone on, you know, they have nice families and good jobs and all that stuff. It's just sort of like, oh, you're all here, and I've been off over here doing my own thing for, like, ten years. I don't really know what I'm going to talk to any of you about. Plus, I mean, I don't know, a lot of people I went to high school with, there are some, some weird shit. A guy I, I grew up with has been accused of attempted murder with a machete in the last two weeks, so it's like, I kind of don't even know... Like, that's amazing. Happening. Yeah. I, well, no, it's not because he's, you know. I mean, that's horrible, to, but that's. He tried to kill a guy with a machete, which is kind of fucked up. But it's like. But the guy oh, didn't die, right? The guy's alive? No, no, no by, by the grace of God, he is still alive. Uh, but that that is that is a real fucked up thing to find out about your friends, you know? And it's like, maybe maybe I'm best served staying away from that whole scene for a while, you know? Maybe just kind of extricating myself from all that. Ah, good point. Your well, friends, on I'd the other s- hand, I'm sure are perfectly normal and, and chill, and you can go hang out with them, and it'll be fine. I, it's just gonna get drunk and laugh at people. Good. That's that's kind of the plan. That's but what you uh, should do. yeah, hopefully I can put Rayman Legends in the book this weekend. But I also I want to try and uh, play through uh, the Wolf Among Us. So yeah. hopefully I can get. I've heard it's like two hours. So um, that seems pretty uh, pretty reasonable for uh, for putting down this weekend. So hopefully we can talk about that on Monday. But I think um, that that's gonna put bombing in the with leaving on the note of attempted murder. You know how to end a show, Alex Navarro. You know you are the people's, the people's something. I don't know what don't, you are, but you're the, the people's, people's something. Wolf. You're the people's Ow. wolf. All right, Alex. <laughs> I will talk. I will talk to you on Monday. I gotta, I gotta go find a machete for my high school reunion. Good call. Have fun with that. <laughs> All right, Alex. I'll see you on Monday. See you next week.